today we begin this new series called the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm excited for it because it's the most famous sermon of all time. Jesus preached this sermon, and I'm trying to get across uh, every Sunday as I've been preaching through the Gospels, I'm trying to get across to everyone that you understand that Jesus was very famous, very famous in the place that he lived. He was very popular. If Jesus was born 30 years ago, and he was beginning his ministry, he was in year two, that's where we're at, in year two of Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry, Jesus would be so popular, he would have the most YouTube subscribers, the most TikTok followers, the most Facebook friends. All right, He would be that popular, everyone would know about him, and there's three big reasons why Jesus would be that famous. Number one, he gave out free Happy Meals. A lot of them. The flail fish kind. Okay? Secondly, he healed whatever ailed you. There were people with all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. He healed them. And thirdly, he taught like no other. You'll see that. He taught like no other. The four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the Gospels. We call them Gospel, it just means good news. God's spell means good news. It's a good news story about Jesus. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you put them together, you have a harmony, if you will, of the life of Jesus. That's what I've been preaching on. And in this uh, next seven messages, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, are the Sermon on the Mount. So if you ever want to just kind of know, like, what's pastor going to be talking about, just reread chapters 5, 6, and 7, and you're the Sermon on the Mount, and you'll understand kind of uh, some of these things that Jesus taught uh, are still happening today. I love it when, uh, well, I really love it when an atheist quotes Jesus <laughs> and doesn't even know it. See, the world quotes Jesus all the time, doesn't even realize it. You've probably said or heard someone say before, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. You've probably heard someone say before, turn the other cheek. Or maybe you heard someone say, go the extra mile. Well, guess what? Jesus said those first. 2,000 years ago, and we're still saying them today. Some people don't even realize it, that it's coming from Jesus. In Matthew 5, chapter 1, this whole thing begins. It says that Jesus, seeing the crowds, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. You'll see the scripture come up on the screen. And if you want a Bible on your way out, we have free Bibles on that back table next to the couch. Feel free to take one. It's yours. That's, it was, they were donated um, by a good friend of mine who um, loves the Lord and wanted people to have a free Bible. So if you want a Bible, take one with you. But um, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can see it on the, on the screen here, um, each verse that I go over. When Jesus went up on this mountain, okay, it really wasn't that much of a mountain. Uh, if you've done any research on this, you realize it's kind of more of a uh, sort of a rising hill, if you will. We wouldn't call it a mountain today. We'd call it a hill. Um, never been to the place. Hope to go someday to the Holy Land and see this place that Jesus preached from. But I have this sense, I want to give you the sort of the, 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 the feeling of what was happening when Jesus was preaching to his disciples. Because Matthew starts off by saying he was preaching to his disciples. He had 12 disciples that followed him. So I do weddings a um, couple times a year. I usually do uh, weddings, and sometimes those weddings are outside. 
And when I do an outside wedding, right, the couple will stand in front of me and the crowd of family and friends will be behind them, right? And so when they um, are uh, kind of all there, I'm really presenting my challenge uh, the part of the wedding ceremony where it's my challenge to the bride and groom, I'm presenting it to them. Uh, it's kind of like a mini-sermon on God's, God's idea for marriage. They don't ever listen to what I'm saying, but, you know, they're just so full of emotions and excited that they're finally at this point because they've been planning for it and paying for it for a long time, and they're just excited to finally have it happen. So they don't really remember what I say. But, nonetheless, I preach on God's idea for marriage. I talk about it. And I know that even though I'm talking specifically to them, I'm talking loud enough, whether I have a mic or not, so that everyone in the crowd can hear me because I really want them to know God's idea for marriage. Because when people get married, it's not a contract you sign, it's a covenant, a promise that you make to one another. So this is the scene on the side of this mountain, if you will. Jesus specifically talking to his disciples, speaking loud enough so the crowd can hear him. And we know this because at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, these two verses, Jesus finished saying what he said. The crowds, Matthew records, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes, their teachers. Everyone heard what Jesus taught. Every Sunday morning here at Life of Purpose, whether you come on Easter or next Sunday or the Sunday after that, I promise you I'll preach the Word of God. I preach to the disciples. I preach to the followers of Jesus, the core, if you will. But I know the crowd is listening. I know everyone is listening, especially since we go on Facebook Live and stream that way. And we upload this to YouTube, and it's on our website. So I know other people are hearing this. And I'm glad, because of what John Piper said. John Piper said, We believe the Spirit-anointed, authoritative preaching of the Word of God has a peculiar power to awaken unbelievers to the truth and beauty of Christ, even when it's addressed primarily to the disciples. You see, I believe that. And my prayer every Sunday is that hearts and eyes would be opened, awakened to this truth of the beauty of God's love in His Son, Jesus Christ. The Word of God doesn't just inform you, it transforms you. It changes you from the inside out. I was lost, like we sang, but then I was found. I can speak of His amazing grace in my own life, live one life for 24 years, contrary to God. I was lost. But then I was found. I was lost in my own self-righteousness, but he clothed me in Christ's righteousness. I was lost in my own self-centeredness. He gave me a life of purpose. I was lost in my own self-pity, but then he put in me a spirit of love and joy and peace. Has God found you? If he has, turn to the person next to you and say, I was lost, but now I'm found. Go ahead, you can turn to someone you know. And if he hasn't yet opened your eyes to the truth, if your spirit hasn't been awakened, stick around. I think he will. Amen, Matthew. Let's pray. Father, 
May this message open our eyes to the truth. And may as many of you have appointed to come forward to, to respond to the truth of this message, may it be so today. May their eyes be opened. May you awaken their spirit. May they know the truth that you love us. And you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. Amen. Amen. So the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, which is really just a fancy word for what? The, starts with B. You're so afraid to say it out loud. I know what it's like to be in a classroom, you know. The blessings. The blessings. The Beatitudes are the blessings. And all blessings in, in your life come from God whether you acknowledge them or not. Jesus mentions in this passage here eight particular blessings. And I suppose if you're a Beatles fan, you might think there's one for each day of the week. I'll let that sink in for a minute. But if you don't know the song, then it's just one for each day and two for Sunday. But is this list of eight blessings complete? Did Jesus mean it to be, you can have eight blessings? Or did he just mention eight blessings, pointing out a greater truth? I believe the greater truth here, the reason why he points out or mentions these blessings, is because they are both present and future. They're both present and future. John 10.10 says, Jesus came so that you can have abundant life. I take that to mean presently and in the future. John 10.10 says that. When we harmonize the Gospels, all four of them, and that's what I'm doing for the next year and a half, you begin to grasp these truths, these promises that God has for you. And there are blessings that God has for you right now and in the future. Earthly blessings come now. They can be here right now, today. You can have them but the greater ones are in heaven. Jesus says this in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is, present tense. Verse 10, the last one, is also present tense. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then there's six blessings in between that are in the future tense. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall seek God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This is the point Jesus made. Christians have blessings now but they're just a taste of what will come. So what blessings should you be tasting right now? Should you be experiencing right now? What is it that you think you need in your life right now that would be a really big blessing to your life? Like it would just bless you in an amazing way if you had this. When I ask that question, and I wonder if some of us, the first thing that pops into our mind is something like more money. You know, and, and I know you know the church answer is not more money, and I'm just being, just try to be honest with yourself. 
you know, and, and just ask yourself that question, you know, what, would, what do I think would be a blessing in my life right now? If I had this right now, what would it be? Could be a better job, some people think about that, or maybe a better home. You know, some people think about a better boat, you know. People who fish, like this guy. Ron said to me, you know, just a little bit ago, you should be killing you all those fishing boats out on the water today. And I said, that's true, but I'm fishing for men today, Matthew 4.19. How about a new boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife? These are blessings that we often think that we need that will fulfill our life. I've watched a lot of young people leave high school and leave college in search of what I call the big three. And since we're in the Motor City, you know, I know when I say the big three, immediately people go to GM, Ford, and Chrysler. All right, or whatever Chrysler's called these days, I don't know. But the big three I'm referring to is not those big three. I'm talking about, I've noticed that people, when they begin their adult life, they want three things. They want a fulfilling career, a job. They want a home, and they want a family, a significant other. Those are the big three. I've seen it time and time again. And when they don't have one of those things in their life, they feel like they're incomplete, like they're missing out, and they want that blessing. So if these are the three things that really matter to most people, doesn't it, don't you wonder, like, why didn't Jesus mention those things? Why didn't he say, blessed are those with a really good paying job because they shall inherit the earth? Why didn't he say, blessed are those who have a nice two-story colonial because then you can see God better? <laughs> blessed are those who have a loving spouse for they shall be comforted. Why didn't, he, why didn't he say those things? And the answer is, because those things only bless you on the earth in this life. Those blessings don't make the trip to heaven. In fact, there's not even marriage in heaven. But there are relationships, but that's what we see in the Word of God. Those are not blessings in heaven. Sure, there are things that bless you now, but not in heaven. Every blessing that Jesus mentions here in the Beatitudes is a twofer. Everybody loves a twofer. Two for one. Ladies, when you go shopping, if they have buy one pair of shoes, get one free, oh, you're in heaven. Am I right? Teenagers. I can make the teens smile. What if Starbucks had buy one, get one free? Tomorrow. I can't say today because they start walking out right now. It's hard enough to get teenagers to stay in church. Men. What if Home Depot had buy one tool, get one free. We love twofers. And that's what Jesus is saying. These blessings that I want to give you, they're twofers. They're, they're good for here on earth in this life, and they're good in heaven. Just listen to what you really need today. Again, I read to you verse 3. He said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be comforted in your grief. Just think about these. Would these bless you to be comforted in your grief? Could, could you be blessed with that right now? How about to have genuine peace? How about to be made right with God? How about to have mercy? To get closer to God? 
to know for certain you're in His family, to have joy every day. How different would your life be if you had those blessings? And that's what Jesus is saying. You can have them. You can have those blessings today. They're so much better than another stimulus check. Because that money gets spent and it goes away and it's gone. But his blessings, Jesus give, last forever. So I ask you, would you like those blessings in your life? If you want them, just tell God, I want those blessings. When you pray, tell him, I want to be blessed, God. And if you want to be blessed, then you've got to know how to receive them. How does God give you these blessings? What is it that you have to do to receive God's blessings? Wouldn't you like to know? Anyone like to know that this morning? I'm ready to tell you. But, you know, preachers need a little encouragement, too. Can I hear an amen, maybe? Okay. If you want the beatitude, check your attitude. If you want the beatitude, check your attitude. Because... Your attitude matters. How many times were you told as a child, boy, I don't like your attitude. Girl, you better check your attitude. Raise your hand, be honest. You've been told that before? In the movie Facing the Giants, the coach tells his players this great truth. Your attitude is the aroma of your heart. If your attitude stinks, your heart is not right. Just think about that. Your attitude is the aroma of your heart. If your attitude stinks, your heart is not right. If you want the beatitude, you've got to check your attitude. Here's the first four beatitudes. They depend on how you approach God. How do you approach God? What is your attitude towards God? Are you coming to Him, get this, poor in spirit, mournful, meek, hungry for righteousness? And let me give it to you a little bit easier so you can grasp it. That means you come to God admitting you are not perfect, not even close. Is that hard for you to admit? Some, maybe. Can you approach God mournful of your spiritual condition? You know your spirit. You know you. Humbly approach Him. Are you going to Him hungry and thirsty for forgiveness? Is that your daily attitude towards God? If you want the beatitude, check your attitude. Remember when you did something to your brother or sister growing up and your parents told you to apologize to them? And they forced it on you? And you just hit them, stole their toy, took their lunch money, whatever. Who knows what you did? And you look at them and you got that smirk on your face? Sorry. And they're like, he didn't mean it. She didn't mean it. And then mom or dad says, you better apologize and mean it this time. You can't force that attitude when you approach God. It can't be forced. You have to come to him with the right attitude. Poor in spirit, mournful, meek, hungry and thirsty to be made right, to be made whole. If you want the beatitude, check your attitude. The last four blessings depend on your approach to other people. What's your attitude towards other people? Are you merciful? Are you pure in heart? Are you a peacemaker? Are you like a martyr? See, if you have the right attitude, you'll show mercy 
to other people. This isn't the Cobra Kai dojo, okay? You'll have pure motives. You'll be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And you'll accept the fact that people will make fun of you or persecute you for your faith. What's your attitude towards other people? Because if you want the beatitude, then you've got to check your attitude. Your attitude is the aroma of your heart. If your attitude stinks, your heart is not right. When you read the Gospels, you realize Jesus was masterful at addressing a person's heart. Wasn't he? Oh, he just got right down to the core issue in their life. There's a lot of people that want God's blessings, but they don't want to deal with their heart. And I'm telling you this morning that if you want God's blessings, you've got to deal with your heart. Because that's what Jesus is saying to you today. What's going on in your heart? The prophet Ezekiel said, God wants to remove your heart of stone and give you a new heart and a new spirit. And Ezekiel spoke these words a long time ago. But it was predicting what would happen on that first Easter Sunday. That first Sunday when Jesus was resurrected. You see, what we could never do on our own, God did through his son Jesus. He made a way where there was no way. John 14, 6, Jesus says this. What's the way? Thomas wondered, one of his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you want God's blessings, the way is through Jesus. It all begins with Jesus. You must have his spirit in you. For three and a half years, those disciples followed Jesus around. They learned from him. And one of the greatest truths they learned, one of the last teachings that Jesus gave them, as he went and saw some, some grapes and talked about a grapevine in John chapter 15, he says, apart from Christ, apart from me, guys, you can do nothing. Apart from me, there are no blessings. You need Jesus. And some of you might be here this morning and you might be a little skeptical. You're just here because somebody invited you or you felt obligated because it's Easter that you should go to church. And maybe you're a little skeptical if you can actually trust Jesus. Let me point this out to you. What man has ever predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off? Amen. Only Jesus. He predicted it and it happened. The world calls it Easter Sunday. We call it Resurrection Sunday because he was crucified on a Friday and he rose from the grave on Sunday. So how do you receive Jesus Christ? How do you begin a new life in him? How does his spirit dwell in you? Well, God has done all the work. You just have to do one little thing. And I say little. It's not really that little because it's really hard for some. Believe. You just have to believe. And that's often hard for people. But I'm saying to you this morning, if something inside of you has been awakened this morning, if somehow or another this stuff is starting to make sense to you, it may have been a process of years or months, and you've gotten to this point now where you're sitting here and inside of you something is sort of really stirring in you, and you're just like, this, this, this makes sense. I want more of this. 
Or maybe you just came today, didn't even know, and then all of a sudden, boom, like a light switch. It's been flipped. I've seen that happen to people. They didn't believe. They were very skeptical. And then, boom, in a moment, a peace rushed over them, and then they believed. I've seen it happen lots of different ways. And when you're a new believer, you don't really know much. When I first believed God really, truly loved me, I didn't know much. I haven't been reading much of my Bible. I didn't know any of that stuff, but that's okay. Because what you understand is something has changed within you. You have this peace. You know God loves you. You are hungry for more. That, to me, is solid evidence that you believe. Something changes within you, and now you believe. That's the evidence. And when you believe in him, you become a new creation. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'm just going to ask everyone to close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you feel that something has changed within you, you you're believing now. And you want to be a new creation in Christ. I ask that you just raise your hand for one second and you can put it back down. Something has changed within you. Just give you a second to respond to God. Raise your hand for one second. Put it back down if something's changed within you. Praise the Lord. And if God is speaking to your heart this morning, God is calling you closer to himself. Would you just raise your hand for a second? You can put it back down. Praise the Lord. Thank you. I would like to pray for you. As your eyes are closed, Father, you have seen the hands that have gone up this morning and you know who is genuinely believing in you, trusting in you. And Father, I pray that you have made them a new creation I pray that you put your Holy Spirit in them so that they can grow and mature in their faith in you, that they can trust in you, that their lives will never be the same. I know my life has never been the same, God, and I'm grateful, thankful. I pray, Father, for their growth and that they would plug into this church to, to know you more, to understand the Bible, what the, the, the words of, of you, and that they would learn to love others and be encouraged and be built up. I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I invite Jamie to come up for our final song. If you ever feel that you need a blessing from God, you're ever going through your day and you're like, man, I could really use a blessing, just remember that saying. If you want the beatitude, check your attitude. That's right. you got to remember that. Believing is just the beginning. Every day, check the aroma of your heart. If you, fess up, if you mess up, fess up. God forgives you. He loves you. And he wants to bless you. You've got to know that. So many people out there just don't really know that God wants to bless them. God wants to bless you. He really does. Just seek him with all your heart. And he'll give you his blessings. I pray this song will be a blessing to you.
so I can see the world from there. I may never ride the waves and taste the salty ocean air. I'll build a bridge that'll last a hundred years. But no matter where the road leads, one thing is always clear. this morning. We have some people from our prayer team, Connie and Jeff, and, and they'll come up here in the front. If you wanted to come forward for prayer, we certainly can pray for you this morning. But uh, we just wanted to know, we wanted everyone to know that um, God is always 
giving blessings. And I pray you are blessed this morning, and I pray that you will just go out into this world and shine your light. And um, you can always come back next Sunday on Wednesdays and uh, keep growing in your faith. Will you stand to be dismissed? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you as you go in peace. You're dismissed. God bless you.